0: A reading from the book of Psalms. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them them all. He keeps all of his bones, not one of them are broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of the servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. The word of the Lord. Thanks be
1: to God. Well, good morning. good morning. For those who are new or visiting here at One Fellowship, my name is Paul. I am one of the pastors here, and it's our joy today to do something in lieu of a sermon, something a bit different, which is I will be sharing a One Fellowship panel with these two lovely individuals Pastor Drew and his better half, Laura Hensley. Let me give this to you, Laura. And uh, we did this at the 9 a.m. Would Cody, would you be ready to run some tissues up for me if that is necessary? Thank you very much. Yeah, some of you know the stories of Drew and Laura. Some of you don't. They moved to Charleston a couple years ago to join our church, our staff, And what they shared this morning at the 9 a.m. service was so powerful, and uh, it's fitting for this day, this Mother's Day, that they would share this story, their journey towards faith and towards parenting. And what I learned at the 9 was even if you're young, a student, a kid, there's something for you here in their testimony. So Barrett, Hayden, whoever you are, wherever you are in life, I, I do pray that today's panel would shape you and touch you as you go. So with that in mind, um, we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 these words, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. So with that scripture as our backdrop, our hope today is that everyone listening will be able to connect both to the hopes and the hardships shared by the Hensleys and in so doing fall more in love with Jesus. So with that, let's begin with a word of prayer and then we'll dive into our questions. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, we pray, come Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name, amen. Well, again, thanks for being here. Let me begin by asking you both this question. Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourselves Where did you grow up, and how would you describe your early years?
0: I grew up in a really loving, really wonderful family. Um, We moved around a good bit. My dad was in the military for most of my life, and so we lived lots of places in the U.S. We lived overseas for a time, but my family was always really rooted in our faith, I have parents, grandparents on both sides who just left a really beautiful legacy of faith, and being involved in local church was a huge piece of that, sort of a bedrock wherever we lived, um, which was a lot of places. Um, We were always involved in our church, and I think that—so I'm the oldest of four kids, and having that foundation and having one another and sharing that faith within our home uh, was— foundational, formational for me. And, you know, to this day, we're still just a really close family.
1: Thank you.
2: Yeah, um, I didn't move around at all. Um, I was born and raised in Missouri. Same city, same house I grew up in. Um, We, though, were also—I was was raised in a Christian house, and um, our our faith and the church was super foundational as well. Um, Anytime the doors were open, we were there. And even when they weren't opened, um, I was there because— My uh, parents, for a season, helped with janitorial services at the church, and so I would be there. Um, But that was really big, and also we had a pretty large extended family that lived in the same city and same area, Um, and so through some of the ups and downs of our immediate family, that
1: was an incredible support to us as well. Thank you. Yeah, right out of the gate, I hear you both were involved in church. You used the word bedrock in foundation, and so even... As kids, the church, the community meant a great deal to you both. So, when did you make a decision to personally follow Jesus, and what led to that decision?
0: Well, like I said, church was a big piece of life, and faith was talked about a lot at home. And one Sunday night, I just remember coming home from church, typical Sunday night, and came home and just had some questions, talked with my mom. I was young, I was probably about seven, and talked with my mom. I prayed with my mom that night and really came to faith in that moment. I was not baptized right away. My parents really wanted to ensure that that choice was one I made out of my own faith really being mine, not just something I inherited for them or felt pressure to conform to. So I wasn't baptized until I was a high schooler, but I think that was really important for me. I was 16 or 17, and um, those high school years, and particularly my college years, I think really helped to create a faith that felt like it was mine.
1: Thank you.
2: Yeah, I came to faith at a young age too. Again, one of those janitorial nights, uh, I remember being in like the nursery at the church, and I think just through hearing um, stories in kids ministry and hearing about Jesus, I almost felt this anxiety of like I want to know him how do i how do I know him and so I asked my mom a lot of questions, and she walked me through that and then a few years later, um, I was baptized and participated in everything at the church through middle school, high school, um, all of that, but I think it wasn 't until really. After my freshman year of college, and some things um, didn't go the way I thought they would, that I really um, examined faith, what it meant, and what it meant to own that as my own and grace and the idea of grace, the concept of grace was a was a massive piece of that mm-hmm. um, and still is today um, but that was big for me
1: Great. so let's bring this into the room and today uh, today's Mother's Day, what feelings does this particularly particular day evoke in each of you?
2: Yeah, I'll lead off in this one. I think today and here as we sit here, like today is a great day of joy for us. Um, And the last three years have been that just being able to celebrate um, Laura being a mother and Silas being a part of our family. Um, And so it's filled with joy uh, for me. And at the same time, there was a stretch of about seven years or more where Mother's Day and Father's Day were the hardest day of the year. Um, where we couldn't have children in the way that we planned. And uh, as a pastor of churches, I still had to be there. And that was difficult at times. I didn't want to be. And it was just incredibly challenging. And um, I think hard because it felt like this constant reminder of this good desire that was still going unmet.
1: Thank you.
0: Sort of along the same lines, I think even today, for me, Mother's Day is still bittersweet. So much joy, so much gratitude, so much love and life within my own household that I am immensely grateful for, of course. But I think I've just become really aware, acutely aware, that this day also holds a lot of potential pain. And I bet if we asked 100 people what they felt today, they could probably articulate a different answer, each one of them, for why this day might be difficult Um might be both, (laughs) might be all the things, right? Um, So many reasons that this could be a day of both joy and grief. And so I think that kind of all wraps up in the idea of a bittersweetness.
1: On that same note um, or theme, tell us about your own journey towards parenting, some of the hopes and the hardships you have both endured.
0: Yeah, long story. Drew and I got married at, right after college. We went to a Christian college. We got married right after, and we started life. I was a school teacher. He was a youth pastor. We were like doing all the right things that we thought we'd been called to do. We spent five years doing those things, a couple different churches, a couple different schools, um, and after those first five years, we started having conversations about growing our family, started having that idea, hey, what's next? And so much hope filled that chapter, filled that season. You dream, you know, what will our holidays look like? What will the Christmas card be? What will it be like to have little cousins running around with other, you know, extended family? Think about summer vacations and play dates and all these things. And there is so much hope and excitement. And that's really how we started that journey.
2: Yeah, and I would piggyback off of that. And so with that hope, Um, The first year passed, and uh, we still weren't pregnant. And then the second year passed, and uh, we weren't pregnant. And so we made an appointment with a specialist in the city. At this time, we were in Seattle and and made this appointment and uh, had a lot of tests done, trying to figure out what was going on. And uh, through the results of that, we found out that the problem lied with me, um, which was... Uh, Crushing on different levels. Um, I felt a lot of shame and this feeling of not being able to give Laura um, this gift and us not being able to um, be parents in the way that we anticipated or we thought. And so that was crushing. There felt like there was this condemnation um, that just came along with that. Um, There were a lot of questions that we had, even as... (laughs) We were in the midst of planning this church, and it's, you know, um, getting going or um, just watching family and friends and people at the church have children and start their families, grow their families, and, and we felt like we were stuck almost in time. And just why, why them, not us? Um, and so through that, there was a surgical option that came up. They said, hey, there's, there's a possibility that this might solve this. And so with hope, it was like, absolutely, sign me up. And so I had that surgery, went through the recovery, and uh, we continued on our journey.
0: So we waited about six more months after that, and we still weren't pregnant. So we returned to our doctors, and they said, you know, at this point, we could try some, one more thing, right? And um, it's called IUI. And so we sign up and we schedule it. It happened to be on a Saturday morning. And again, that new spring of hope uh, just rose again. Mm. And I mean, we even went out to brunch before. The appointment wasn't until 11. It was like this, you know, just this beautiful, hope-filled day and time. And we got into the office and we got prepped. And the nurse came in and she was just so downcast. And she said, "Um, I'm so sorry, but we can't move forward in this today after all. The numbers just aren't there, and it would just not be fair or right for us to proceed. I don't even remember what she said after that. I don't remember going to the car. Somehow we got home. I don't know. Um, But we were just overwhelmed with immense grief. It felt like. God, we have done everything you've asked at every turn, at every road. And now another no, another just closed door. It felt more like a slammed door. And um, we were brokenhearted, to say the least. Overwhelmed and um, feeling pretty lost after that day. So we knew that after such a long time, we needed a bit of a break. Our bodies, our souls needed some time. So we took about six months and just waited, rested, prayed. And during that time, I think God really began to work on both of our hearts to start considering adoption. We'd grown up in churches that had beautiful adoption stories. We both have extended family members who are adopted. We had heard time and time again within our churches, hey, adoption is the gospel lived out. We are lost. We're alone. We're fatherless. And God says, I will not leave you as orphans. He comes. He sends Jesus. You're not just brought in. You're brought in as a beloved son or daughter. Like, that's the gospel. Because of Jesus, we're brought into the family. We knew that at a heart level. But man, moving forward And taking those steps, it was almost scary to do after so many times of being almost like that bait and switch, you know? Like, is it really going to be this time? Um, And so those six months, we're just sort of evaluating that in our hearts and asking God, is this really the next step? Is this the next right thing? Is this what you're calling us to do? And eventually, we felt like He was. And so we began the adoption process with an agency.
2: Yeah, and I think um, at that time, too, and walking some of this out, it felt really important for us to be honest with um, ourselves and others, and, and we'll talk about it in a minute, but of our grief and joy, and so some of those hopes and hardships, just to be honest and open about that. And that's part of this, too, is I feel like we started to open up more and more, which was really important. Um, so we were excited you know, to be starting this process, but at the same time, there were open wounds, And um, trying to figure out what does that look like, how to deal with that. Because this was lengthy. So we started home studies, and we started um, classes and assignments, and we had to put together an adoption book that felt pretty awkward. Honestly, you're trying to find the perfect pictures and say the perfect things, literally hoping that a birth mom or dad or family, like, picks you. And uh, that took a long time. That That took a year. And so then we were a waiting family. And, uh, a few months went by and we're just waiting. We're just waiting and we're going through life. But at the same time, we feel like we're kind of stuck in this spot. And so I think it was about three or four months. We got an email from our agent saying, Hey, there's a mom that's looking at your book today along with others. And so again, there's this feeling of hope that wells up. And then the next day, getting an email saying she went with this other family. That's great for that other family. And still there's pain there. And, uh, and so then a few more months went by, and I remember we were on a vacation, actually down here with your parents, um, and uh, got another email that said, hey, there's, there's this birth mom, and she's looking at, at two families, and you're one of them. So I was like, this is it. And then the next day, she went with this family. And so just this heaviness and this cloud that now had been there for years, and it was kind of like, is this cloud ever going to go away, um, you start to almost protect yourself from hope and put up walls. And I think we started to do that. Um, So this two-year process, in the midst of that, having planted this church and it's going, I even started to question my call as a pastor. Do I have anything to say to these people? Or do I even have like a right to speak in? And uh, even though I knew that wasn't true, that's how it felt. It felt like, man, (laughs) just this feeling of less than. And uh, then, but, and the but, which is great, we're in a pretty low spot. Um, January 10th, 2019, two days after my birthday, it's like 9.30 in the morning, get this call from our um, agent. And she says, there is this birth mom in Charleston, South Carolina, that found your profile online. And she knows, without a doubt, you're the family for her. This doesn't happen 95% of the time. Nobody finds these online profiles. (laughs) Like, you just put them up there just in case. And especially not cross-state. And so there was such an immediate feeling of this cloud dissipating and this joy coming um, to the point that I couldn't hold it in. I was at home. Laura was at work. I didn't want to freak her out. So I called one of my best friends and said, you just got to come over to my house. Like, let's party. And he's just like, it's like 10 in the morning. And we did. And then uh, after he left, I went out and I went to the store and I bought baby formula, like just to get ready. Um, and so it was going to be three weeks later, like literally three weeks Silas was going to be born. And so we waited, and then on January 28th, we got this call that he was born. And so we got on a flight, and a day later, we met this little guy um, down here in Charleston. Such a joy.
0: So amazing day, right? Amazing, just beautiful day. Probably the best day of our lives. <laughs> and then it was followed by what we lovingly call the Month of Magic. We had been in Seattle, for seven years and had some long gloomy days and we were like, hey, if we've got to be in another state for, you know, all this paperwork to go through, it can take weeks. We're going to take a month and we're renting a house on IOP. We don't care how much it costs. We're living up the Charleston life while we can, soaking in the sunshine and soaking in this precious new baby. And so, yeah, we call it a month of magic. We rented this house and we spent that month loving him, getting to know him, sharing him. Um, Our families came. We had old friends. You know, we'd lived in Atlanta before. We'd lived in Greenville. We had people from like other chapters of our life who got to come and then celebrate with us. College friends from North Carolina, like all this just incredible joy wrapped up within those weeks, that precious, precious time. Um, In the midst of that, I had this feeling will I be able to connect with and bond with and know and love this child the way he deserves to be loved? If I didn't carry him, well, um, well, I have the capacity for that. And it was a fear that I had to ask God to work on. And he answered that in a heartbeat. The moment that I held my son, um, I knew he was my son. And, um, Again, that beauty of God the Father looks on us like that, my experience of that was transformational. I I felt like I understood the way that God looks at us as beloved sons and daughters in a totally different way, regardless (laughs) of how he came to be ours. And um, that was just a huge answer to our prayers. And then that beautiful month was also probably some of the most sacred and special time that I think will hold forever.
1: Cody, I need your help. I, I'm serious. Can you, can you give me some paper towels? And also, Carly's a mess. There's some others. No, that's yours. I need my own. Run, Cody. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Cody. Just to, uh, to honor this part of your story, You know, growing up in the church, um, Christian college, check, got married early, check, teaching, serving others, check, youth pastor, check, church planning, check. Garth came up to me after the the first service and said, living in Seattle, check. So you were... (laughs) You were, uh, you were trying to do all the right things. You were trying to do all the right things, and yet it wasn't working out. I just think this is significant to pause here and just to say, like, that's, that's the reality with our faith stories. We can do all these right things, and sometimes it just doesn't work out the way we've mapped it out. We've talked about this through the life of Joseph, right? We've been preaching through the story of Joseph. Even last week, Jacob, you know, leaving everything, losing everything, having to go to Egypt, and through humility and vulnerability, really rediscovering his faith. And so it's this hard truth that through vulnerability, God meets us right where we are. And it's interesting that even in the story of Jesus, after he's baptized, he goes where? He doesn't go to the mountaintop. He goes to the wilderness through hardship. And you know that well. Um, Let me ask this question. Through all of this, where have you found support in your faith and in your parenting?
0: I think we learned in a very real and very new way that when we talk in the church about our need for community, we're not joking <laughs> that is true. We really were designed to be loved and known by one another. None of us were created to go it alone. And so I think we just experienced that. At that point, Drew had been a pastor for ten years, and we'd been talking about how important community was, and we were hosting life groups, and we were, you know, telling everybody, make it a priority, and it's hard. And and that was all very true, and we believed that, but we had never needed that like we did in that mm. season. Um, this might seem like a silly story, and I told it in Bible study once before, so sorry, girls, if the, you're tired of hearing this, but after one of those adoption calls happened on a Friday night, and Saturday morning, we were wrecked. Still in bed, 9 a.m., we hear a knock on the door, and we were like, let it go, right? Keeps knocking. We sh- I go up, I'm like, please just be Amazon, like, please just be Amazon. And I look out the window, and it's one of my dearest friends. And she's holding flowers and donuts. And I open the door, and she says, like, you probably don't want to see me right now. And you're probably not glad I'm here. Um, But my husband and I, another dear friend, um, we decided you guys can't be alone today. And that you're not going to be alone today. He's got our girls all day. And so I'm here all day. And I open the door, and she stayed with us all day. And I know that's like, so your friend came over? Okay, big deal. No, she was Jesus' hands and feet to us that day. We couldn't get off the couch to walk the dog. She played with our dog. We certainly hadn't cleaned the kitchen. She (laughs) Sweat my kitchen floor. She put my dishes in the dishwasher. Like She cried with us. She laughed with us. We watched bad TV together. (laughs) We made it. We ordered pizza. We sat on the floor some more. We cried again. She did not leave us that day. Her husband, in his own way, kept their girls all day long. You know, their girls were without their mama for the day. Like that whole family in this way loved us when we could not look up when we didn't have our own faith, they said, you can have some of ours. We will be here for you in that way today. And so we just experienced that community. Again, as simple as somebody showing up on your porch, yes, yes, and staying. Um, You know, when she left that night, it wasn't better. Like (laughs) we were still really sad. It wasn't better, but we weren't alone. And uh, that changed everything.
2: I think that what that showed us And this is so true that genuine Christian community is not just trying to pull someone out of the ditch or out of the gutter, but being willing to jump down into it with you and sit there as long as it takes. And it's messy. And there's doubts and there's anger and there's all of these emotions, but that's what genuine Christian community should look like. Um, I call it gutter buddies, and it's not a great name, but that's what it is. It's like... That's, that's what it is. I'll jump down there with you in it.
1: As I uh, hear your story and as you tell your story, are there any scriptures, passages that speak to you right now in this, in this moment?
2: Yeah, one quick one for me that I think was steady throughout the journey and just has been a constant verse, um, especially in the context of it. It just says Isaiah 26.3. Um, You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And the picture of that passage is literally everything's falling down around. Um, And so there were just days and dark nights of the soul and seasons where it was just like, God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't agree with it. I don't like it. But it's kind of like the disciple, where else would we go? Like, that's what it was. And so just, I'm going to trust you as much as I can even though that trust is, feels very small at times like and, and very hard. So that was one that was, I think, a steady steady place for me.
0: Um, mine was the one that Trisha read for us, Psalm 34, 18 to 22. That chunk of scripture starts in brokenness, and it talks about God being near to the brokenhearted, saving those who are crushed in spirit, I don't know if you've ever felt crushed by your sadness or crushed by your situation, but if you can identify with that, the idea that you are, someone is near, not just someone, that the God who made you is near to you. It's just, what an encouragement, what a beautiful picture in the midst of sorrow. And then it goes on to say that he protects, the bones are not broken, he does not leave, but rather, at The end, verse 22, he redeems the life. It's not wasted. It's not forgotten. That time, that pain, in fact, has purpose. And that purpose is a beautiful redemption. It might not mean that you, in the end, get exactly what you asked for or thought or expected. But you do get Jesus. You do get to know that he is with you. He is for you, that he has others to join with you. And then the promise that it's redeemed, however that looks, whatever that looks like, he loves us so much. He's so good and so kind. He redeems the time. That's so encouraging to me. At the Amen. End.
1: All right, last question. For any who are struggling here today, be, be it with broken dreams or coming from a broken background or a home, what words of hope would you offer them?
2: Yeah, I would say that this um, this could be true of any situation today, especially on Mother's Day. You know, whether that's, um, gosh, what we faced, or losing a parent, not ever knowing your parent, um, the desire to get married and have kids, um, a strained relationship, just a really tough season in general that you're in. Um, one for me here, and, and we've said it, but is just this importance of community. Um, that you're not, you're not alone. So don't go it alone. As Laura just said, like you're not alone. So don't go it alone. Let other people in, even if that's incredibly difficult, even if that's hard, even if that person hasn't experienced anything that, like you've experienced. Just there to listen and be with you in it. And how massively important that is. And that's what we're all about here as a church. That's one of the reasons that I was even interested in coming here and serving here. Was is there a genuine community? Um, they can love and support one another, and the good and the bad, and everything in between. Um, give grace, that's a big one. When you're in a tough spot, some people are gonna say things that you wish they didn't. <laughs> And they're going to um, say things that might anger you or make you mad or seem insensitive. I- I've learned that they don't mean that, even though they might not know the exact thing to say. Like, can't tell you how many people told us when we would talk about our infertility, like, oh, well, then just adopt. And it's like, okay, just adopt. It's like, and so you have to be patient and be like, hey, thanks for that. Like, that's something we'll look into or look at. Um, but just not to hold resentment or anger, but to know like, hey, you just care, even if you don't know exactly how to communicate this. Um, This is so big. And and just knowing today and the emotions and and the weight of seasons, uh, what what I've learned is God not only grieves for you, but he grieves with you. Um, That God really is a good father where we feel this pain and sorrow and grief. He wraps around us in that. That even the grief we feel, he feels more of it as a good father who doesn't want to see his kids hurt. And so knowing that is a a source of comfort and has been. And then lastly, um, we're doing this James study right now with some of the men. And in this first week, we were talking about when you face trials, how do you have hope? And just this reality that in tough seasons and situations, if this life is it, then man, God is a cruel God and we should just throw in the towel. But the reality is, is this is not it. This is not our greatest reality. This is not our permanent home that no matter what you're facing, and even if it doesn't get better in this lifetime, that there will be a reality where there are no more tears, there's no more pain, there's no more regret, shame, condemnation, where we'll actually meet God face to face, and we'll be able to smile and see Him smile back at us. And what a beautiful picture that is and something to hold on to.
0: Um, I think for me, one of the... Biggest lessons I learned during that waiting time and our our difficult season, that long night of the soul, um, was thinking about joy and sorrow and how they are not always mutually exclusive, that we can, in fact, hold both at the same time. I cannot tell you how many times during those years I said, I'm happy for you. And in my heart, I said, but I'm so sad for me. You know, And I was genuinely happy for someone else, happy for you, glad for you, sad for me, like experiencing genuine joy for my friends, for my own sister, for all my coworkers, like genuine happiness and yet mingled with sorrow. And I just thought about those two things a lot. And I thought about the life of Jesus. Isaiah calls him a man well acquainted with grief, a man of sorrows. And yet we know from Hebrews that for the joy sat before him, he endured the cross. When a day before, he'd been experiencing ultimate sorrow in the garden, begging God for another way. And so those two things existed together in him. And so that can be true for us too. That was a big encouragement for me, kind of a light bulb moment that like it's not all good and rejoicing all the time. It's not all sorrow all the time. It can be both, um, and it often is. I think it gave me a big, big just awareness for other people's suffering, for the fact that oftentimes someone might look perhaps like they have things together. um, But that's where the community piece comes in, being aware and knowing, asking, and being present for each other in our suffering, being careful with the words that we say to each other, not making assumptions, and again, spending the time to know each other in a way that's deep enough to be able to share, love, support, care, and point back to Jesus. I think my final just encouragement, I suppose, if you are in any kind of season, not just infertility, anything today where you're thinking, does God see my pain? Does Mm. he, does he even see me at all? Know that there's purpose in our pain that might not feel good right this minute, but just know that somebody told me that one year and I was like, that doesn't help. Not today, you know, but know that there is purpose because otherwise, again, he'd be a cruel God if he were just to leave us alone or just to watch us suffer or say, well, you earned it. That's what sin gets you. So live with the consequences. No, he says, I love you so much. I will not leave you. I will send Jesus. You will become a beloved son or daughter. So just circling back to that Psalm 34, he's near, he loves, he's caring, he's caring. And he redeems. He redeems our souls, our hearts. Um, He redeems our time because he loves us, because he's that good.
1: Um, Thank you. I just got teary-eyed as as you were finishing because after the first service, there's all these people who came to talk to you. And all the kids had been checked out. And there's Silas behind the gate. <laughs> and uh, I said, uh, "I'll check him out and bring him up to mom and dad." And Silas gave me gave me his hand. It's one of the smallest hands I've ever held. I'm not exactly a small person, but I, I led smile. I call him Smilas, You call him Smilus for how much he smiles but I led him to right in the middle of this room and he saw you and he ran. And the purpose and the pain, I just think of the community that Silas has and that you guys have. And as I shared at the nine, I'm not sure you would be on staff. Had you not gone through so much pain, I'm not sure you'd be in Charleston. So in an odd sort of way, I'm so grateful you're here, even though it costs you so much. We're so grateful they're here. Amen. Yeah. And um, Laura shared, this is the first time they have fully shared their story like this. I hope I hope you receive the gift of this story. And it, it impacts you. No matter what hardship you're facing or will face, you, You're not meant to face it alone. And and the Lord says, you don't go alone. I will never leave you nor forsake you, says the Lord. And that's a theme throughout, that's a thread throughout the Bible and it's a thread throughout the saints of old. They know that no matter what they're facing, they don't go alone. And the gift of community is the church. You love the church. I love the church. We love the church. And uh, if you're facing something, you, you don't have to, face it alone. We want to do life on life here. And there's power, not only in the Lord, but power in the Lord's family. So with that, why don't we close this time with a word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gift of vulnerability. And I thank you for the purpose behind this story. We celebrate little Silas. We celebrate Drew and Laura. And God, I pray that you would search us where we're broken right now, and you draw near. Be true to your promise, God, to never leave us nor forsake us, cover us, love us, cleanse us, call us as your own, and may that change everything. We don't have to go here, go from this place in fear, but in peace, in trust, we don't walk alone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your love. We pray this all for our good and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.